said to the cab driver, welcome to heaven. Take this silk robe in this golden stand, and it'll help you work your way around heaven. Then he turned to the preacher and he said, welcome to heaven, preacher. Here, take this cotton robe and this wooden stand, and it'll help you work your way around heaven. And the preacher said, well, how come he got a silk robe and a gold staff, and I got a cotton robe and a wooden staff? That doesn't seem fair. St. Peter said, well, that has to do with how effective you were on earth. You see, when you preach, people slept. When he drove his cab, everybody prayed. <laughs> this sermon was one of the most difficult I ever had to write. Now, writing a sermon is a pretty lengthy process. The rule of thumb is, for every minute that you give a sermon, it takes an hour of research. I didn't, when I first started preaching, I didn't believe it. I said, wow, can't take that much time. But it's pretty much pretty close to what it takes. This, the sermon was so difficult was because the gospel reading was didn't seem to make sense. And I, that's what I'm going to talk about in my sermon. Now, I grew up in southern Vermont. I'm a farm kid. We had a little teeny tiny town. There was 200 people in the town. And I think half of them were my relatives because no one ever left town. And, then, and now when I go to that town today, there's still 200 people in it, and half of them are still relatives. So it's, it's one of those things about rural America, things just don't change much. But anyway, the sermon is called The Cost of Love. Back in the 1960s, I graduated from college and I went to live in Manhattan. And I went to the Brick Presbyterian Church on the Upper East Side. I was kind of trying to see what it was like to be amongst the rich people. That was Jackie Kennedy's neighborhood on the Upper East Side. That was where the very, very wealthy in Manhattan lived. And one Sunday, the pastor of the Brick Presbyterian Church introduced a guest pastor. Now, this guest pastor had been a successful broker on Wall Street who had given up everything to become a pastor. He quit Wall Street, he went to seminary, and he was assigned a little teeny tiny church in Pennsylvania, much like the town that I came from. And he was talking about his, his career on Wall Street, and he was making $50,000 a year well, 50000 doesn't sound like that much now, but in the 1960s, that was an enormous amount of money. That would be like making 500000 today. He gave that up to become a pastor in rural Pennsylvania. And he was going to be making one-tenth, at best, of what he was making on Wall Street. He couldn't afford to live in the Upper East Side where he was preaching. He was going to live in a little town, a little house, in Pennsylvania. But he was a stag. He was so happy you could just see it and you could feel it from him. He had given up that life to serve Jesus and to serve the Lord. 
You know, when I heard the story, I was kind of torn because I had gone from graduate school in business to Manhattan to learn how I could make some money. And here was this fellow who was already making money, and he's going to give it up. It didn't make sense to me. I was just a young guy at the time, and making money seemed to be the thing that was a good goal. So I was, I was a little sad for what he had given us. But he wasn't sad. He was happy. He was joyful. And he was looking forward to the life the new life that he was taking. Referring back to the gospel reading that we just heard, Jesus said that sacrifice is an essential part of discipleship. And here was the difficult part for me. I'm going to read from the gospel. If anyone, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, and doesn't hate his own mother and father, wife, children, yes, and his own life, he can't be my disciple. So what on earth is that? The Bible's telling us to hate our mother and father, or we can't be a disciple? You see where I'm, anybody would struggle with that. I mean, you, the words are right in front of you. But Jesus wasn't calling us to hate our family. Had to do a little digging to find out what Jesus was really talking about. Part of it is that the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word is sometimes translated from hate, means miso in Greek. But that has more than one meaning. Miso doesn't mean just hate. It could also mean be indifferent. Same meaning. It also can mean disregard. So, when we read the lesson of the Bible, there's more to it than what we originally might think of it. The other thing that we need to understand is that, that Luke and the teaching of the time had quite a bit of hyperbole in Hyperbole. Don't you love that word? I love it. When you look at it, it doesn't even look like it's not hyperbole. But a hyperbole is an exaggeration. It's to take our language and, and state it in such a way that someone might say, huh? What did he say? I'll give you an example of hyperbole from my hometown. One time, my grandmother was talking about my cousin Dwayne. And she said, you know what Dwayne is suggesting makes about as much sense as putting socks on a rooster. <laughs> makes no sense at all. But that's hyperbole. So Jesus calls for us to meet so, our father and mother, to hate them, but not hate them. Maybe disregard them, or maybe be indifferent to them. Why? He meant that we must put God and godly things foremost. We need to be godly to our family, to our friends. But God needs to come first. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, the Lord comes first. 
we're obligated to the people, but we're obligated to God. And Jesus was driving home the point that being his disciple was pretty serious business. And that discipleship means putting Jesus first. The next thing in that gospel reading that kind of got me thinking was that whoever bears his own cross and comes after me can't be my disciple. We have to remember that in Jesus' time, a cross was not a golden ornament that we wear around our neck. A cross was an instrument of torture. And that if you were bearing your own cross in Jesus' time, you were on your way to your own death. It was pretty serious stuff. So Jesus meant that. If you're bearing your own cross, you best give your own cross up and follow me. Further on in that gospel, Jesus warns us to count the cost of discipleship. There he said, for which of you, desiring to, if you're desiring to build a tower, don't you first sit down and count the cost to see if, it has enough, if you have enough to complete it. Jesus' point there was that we need to give some thought to what it means to be a Christian. And we need to do that before we take the leap. Because Jesus has very high expectations. We're going to be disciples of the Lord. We need to know the cost of coming becoming a disciple of the Lord. You know, there was a book I recently read. Stories for the Soul. Great book if you see it. Wonderful book. And in that book, it tells the story of Jim Dennison. Who went on a mission to Malaysia for one summer. While he was there, he noticed an old suitcase on the side of the church. He asked the pastor about it, and the pastor said that, you see that teenage girl? I just baptized her this morning. And when she had come to church, she told the pastor that her father said that if she was baptized a Christian, she could never come home again. So what did she do? She brought her luggage. She brought her luggage. She gave up her family to be a Christian. And her father said she could never, ever come home again. When I read that story, I wondered what had become of that girl. The story was written a few years before that. Was she condemned to live hand to mouth for the rest of her life? She had no family support. She left her family to be a Christian. The church that she went to should be there to help her. And I think that that, that her arriving at the church was a test of the church. 
that Jesus was testing the church to see what they would do with this young girl who couldn't go home. And it makes me wonder if that girl came to our church, what would we do? Would we embrace her and help her and support her? Because Jesus, or the Lord, was testing the church to see what they would do with her. Further on in the Gospel, it reminded me of, in the 1980s, there was a movement called the Prosperity Gospel. Benny Hong. I don't know if anybody remember that was back in the 80s. Now Benny said that Christ wants us to be wealthy. And he picked and chose part of the Gospel to, to make his argument. Well, later, later on, Benny apologized for that and said that he was wrong. But it was an interesting concept. The prosperity gospel was a movement that started in this country and it spread all over the world. And some people found it very attractive because it promises material wealth as a, reason, as a reward for discipleship. I tell people that following Jesus will make you rich. A little, one little problem with that is Jesus said so therefore whoever of you who doesn't renounce all that he has can't be my disciple so Benny Hahn kind of ignored that part I think but Jesus said reject your love now I don't think he meant literal to give up everything. I really don't think that. Any more than I believe that he wanted us to hate our mothers and fathers. That, that wasn't it. It was a little bit hyperbole involved in that. But he wanted us to not have money as our focus in life. But the Lord is our focus in life. Now, how that works is different for different people. Christ wanted us to make sacrifices. It's everywhere in the Bible. Matthew, Luke, all through the New Testament and there's people making sacrifices. Many of the disciples went to prison. That was the sacrifices that they made. But what sacrifices do we make? There's no standard template. The Wall Street guy, he gave up all the money in a promising career to become a Christian and become a pastor. The little girl in Malaysia, she gave up her family to become a Christian. We don't talk much about sacrificial discipleship anymore, but I think we should. Jesus surely thought that sacrifice was important. I, I might be the oldest person in this church, so I remember things that a lot of you can't relate to. But there was a Broadway play called Oklahoma. And one of the songs of, in Oklahoma had the verse, you can't have one without the other. And what I'm saying is that Jesus meant is you can't have a discipleship without some sacrifice.
You can't have one without the other. So, I'd like to leave you with four questions today. I don't want you to stand up and answer questions, and I'm not going to point anybody out. But I just want to offer four questions to you. Something to ponder during the week. Question one is, what have you given Jesus lately? He's given you everything. He gives you the air. The Lord gives you the air to breathe, the water to drink, the sun to grow our food. The Lord provides everything that we need. What have we given Jesus lately? What have we given this week? It's not monetary. What have we given this month? What have we given this year? Just ponder this. What have we given Jesus lately? That's question one. Question two. What could you be giving Jesus that you're not giving? Jesus calling you to spend more time on strengthening your discipleship or strengthening your devoted life? Is he calling you to help with the hungry and the homeless? Is he calling you to work with young people? I got a calling to do the preaching. I'm 78 years old. I started this when I was 74. Before that, I spent my life in the congregation. And I felt a calling to do the preaching, to cover for pastors who were sick or on vacation or whatever, because the church needed it. So question two is, what are you giving Jesus that you, what could you be giving Jesus that you're not giving? <clears throat> Third question. If you were to put Jesus first, how would that change your life? Just think about it. I can stand up here all day and tell you how it's changed my life. It's made it so much better. It's beyond belief for me. But if you follow the Lord, the Lord will take you where he needs you and where you should go. So the third question is, what would you start doing? Or what would you quit doing? Quit smoking? How would putting Jesus first change the world? And the final question, question four is, <clears throat> to me it's the most important question. Do you know for certain that Jesus loves you? You, personally? It's real easy for us to say Jesus loves everybody. And we believe it. But that's not the question. The question is, do you know that Jesus loves you? If I came down and went to each one of you and stood in front of you and pointed to your chest and said, do you know that Jesus loves you? Would you say yes? You should. Jesus loves you, and he loves you. He loves you, he loves everybody here. But the most important thing is to get it in your heart that he loves you personally. I'm not talking about anything. So take these questions home, if you would. And ponder. Just think about it a little bit. Question one. Just a reminder. 
Lori's a school teacher. She does this all the time. Gives a lesson and then sends home a reminder with them. Okay. Question one. What have you given Jesus today? Question two. What could you be giving them that you aren't giving? Question three. If you were to put Jesus first, how would that change your life? And question four. Do you know that Jesus loves you? You should know. Because he does. If the answer to these questions suggests that you should move in a new direction, take it. I took it five years ago. And it changed my life. I won't promise you that it will be easy. There could be some sacrifices in the work for me. But I was blessed. And you will be blessed with whatever changes that you make. Amen. Our hymn of response is our...
and our emergency services people, the people in our, in our government, that you give them the wisdom to do what is in, in your favor and bless us all, Heavenly Father. And let us say the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us to say our daily bread. Give us our trespasses. For we forgive those who trespass against us. And we desire temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the power. And the glory of the Lord. Amen. We have pictures. I don't know how the procedure works.